0: Our first reading is the first paragraph of chapter 9 of Romans, and it's headed Paul's anguish over Israel. You will hear his heart as we read these words. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, my conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises, Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever be
1: praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are mainly human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard that? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Come,
2: Holy Spirit, inspire our hearts again. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing in our series of looking at Romans. It is perhaps Paul's deepest theological book, where he sets out the themes of salvation and redemption, and tells us who he believes Christ to be. Paul was most likely writing this on his way to Jerusalem before he visited the Roman church. We began quite some weeks ago, I think it was the beginning of July, starting to look at Paul's journey, and we're we're still there. We've looked at how Paul explains how we can follow Jesus and be forgiven, how we need to keep on going, how God is patient and just, and knowing that God works for the good of those who love him. Today, we're going on to look at Paul, perhaps in a more reflective mood. It's very easy to skip over the first few words in a chapter. I know I often do thinking you want to get on to the main point, that the first few verses must be there just as a way of introducing the theme. But I suggest that we stop for a few minutes and look together at these first few verses. They're incredibly rich, and by skipping over them, we would miss something that's really worth looking at. Often, we're shown a portrayal of Paul, the writer of Romans, as a hard taskmaster, perhaps someone who doesn't suffer fools gladly, someone we might find a little intimidating, perhaps someone we regard with a certain amount of awe and who has superhuman insight. But here in the first three verses of chapter 9, we have a picture of a man who for the moment appears almost broken with grief and pain as he explores his anguish at his fellow Jews who can't see who Jesus is. For him, this is no intellectual argument about Abraham's legacy, but a longing for his own race, those he describes as his brothers to see Christ as the fulfilment of God's promises. Paul was not only a Jew, but someone who took his faith seriously. He was a man of learning, brought up seeped in Jewish law and writings. He was deeply embedded in Jewish life. We don't know much about his family, but can only guess that it must have been agony for him to know Jesus and know that would cut him off from all the people he'd known and grown up with. Here in verses 2 and 3, he's putting his feelings into words. He's willing to give his life for those lost Jews who can't understand who Jesus is. The depth of his love and pain are there for us all to see. Is this a moment when one of the most prolific and amazing missionaries of all time is losing his vision? Perhaps he's looking at the cost of discipleship and wondering if it's all too much. I am sure we can all think of family members or friends who haven't understood our own journey of faith and for whom we grieve perhaps even thought of as Paul does here. He echoes the call of Moses in Exodus 32 as he says he would give up his salvation if his fellow Jews would come to faith. Are we seeing the moment that Paul has lost his nerve? Is he doubting the goodness and grace of God? I think that Paul's grief-stricken cry profound as it clearly is, is not giving him doubts. But as we read on, we find it's taking him deeper into Christ. Paul has begun with an affirmation of his faith right at the beginning of verse one. I speak the truth in Christ. All that Paul ever says to us is through the filter of his unshakable faith. Paul remembers all the promises given through Abraham in Genesis, then through Isaac and Jacob, Moses in Exodus, and then, of course, David, to whom not only the promises to the Jewish people, but through whom all humanity was to be saved. His was the line that would give us the promised Messiah. Much of the Old Testament looks forward to a day when God will send a Savior to reunite all people to him. Hosea, Song of Solomon, and Isaiah. Zechariah, they're all rich in passages that prophesy Christ's appearance in the world. It makes it all the more difficult for him to understand how his own people have not understood the love and grace that is available to us all through Jesus. This is the inheritance of the Jews. But as Matthew in our gospel reading shows us, many are bound up with tradition and law. And couldn't see who Jesus is because their hearts aren't in the right place. They have forgotten who they were called to be. These are our promises too. Because we are adopted into Christ's family. But it can be as easy for us to forget our inheritance. If we too start to believe that our own tradition is the only right one. And forget to look always to Christ. It can be so easy to get bound up in the right way of doing something, forgetting to give our hearts and souls to Jesus. When I worked for Jack, we took the young people up to a hill in the park one Easter morning. We read passages of scripture and shared bread and wine as the sun rose over the hill. It was amazing, beautiful. It was transformational and sacramental but it broke so many canon laws and would have been deemed illegal by many. I have friends that would have found the whole thing extremely difficult. And yet, it was one of the most moving things I've ever been involved in because there were young people there who for the first time were celebrating the resurrection of a Christ that meant something to them. It isn't so... Sorry, it is so easy to get distracted by the stuff that doesn't bring us closer to Christ. The world tells us to be rich, successful, independent. And the church has been guilty of absorbing some of that culture. Christ calls us to follow him, to be brave, to swim against the tide and to follow the one saviour. And then in 1st 5b, Paul reminds us that Christ is God over all. This is a profound statement, one of the clearest statements of the deity of Christ in the New Testament, and of course pivotal to the Christian faith. For Paul, Christ is, is the point at which history turns and everything changes, the point at which salvation comes through the resurrection of Christ to all where the whole of creation, as well as humanity, is redeemed. The point cannot be overemphasized. Christ is the cornerstone for both Jews and Gentiles, the one and only Son of God who came to save the world. It is for Christ that Paul has given up everything. It is for Christ that Paul endured prison, beating and humiliation. It is for Christ that Paul has given up family and friends. And Christ calls us to be as single-minded, seeking him first. In Philemon, Paul uses the phrase koina, which is best described as becoming part of Christ, sharing life with Christ. It's an intimate and intertwined existence with Christ. This is what we are called to intimacy with Christ. In our Matthew passage, the Pharisees are not able to see who Christ is. It's very easy to criticize them, but actually, are they so different from us? Perhaps fearful of what we don't understand? Missing the generous mercy of God? Daniel Strickland describes it as surrendered abandonment, which I think is the most amazing phrase surrendered abandonment I think of it as dreaming with God sometimes it's tempting to think different must be wrong I wonder if Jesus is trying to shock them into the realization of what they are doing and sometimes it needs to take a shock to help us to see where we might be getting it wrong Jesus is calling them and us to centre our lives on him, to feed on him, as he is calling us today. I had a Sunday off last week and went to another church. In the service, there were people you don't normally see in church, the homeless and fragrant, those who couldn't read, who found social and religious conformity very difficult. It was wonderful to see them in a church, and it made my heart sing, It might have been shocking to those who like order and convention, but these are the very people who Jesus wants us to welcome. So, there's huge amounts in a few small verses. What, I wonder, is there in these passages for us today? What is it that Christ is asking of us? It is often in the depths of pain and the anguish of separation that God speaks most clearly. It may be that as Paul found a depth of faith through his sorrow, we also can learn from him. So, the first thing well, the Pharisees and Jews had lost their way, they'd lost sight of who Jesus was. And we can do the same. We can lose sight of our calling, of what God has prepared for us, and who we are as his adopted children. The calling on our lives is for intimacy with Christ, but we can so easily forget to dream God's dreams. We have a choice. We can settle for less, or we can respond in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit for a deeper relationship with him. Just as in any relationship, it can go cold unless we take the time to get to know Christ through prayer and through reading the Bible. It takes time and it might mean following wherever he leads, even at the expense of our dearly held religious and secular traditions and conventions. And secondly, there's Paul's deep cry for the lost, Whilst we can lose sight of God's promises for us as a church, it's possible to do it as individuals too. Are there people who just don't know all, all the many promises that God has in store for them? All of the rich blessings of eternal significance that have been prepared for them, if only they could come back to Him? I suggest we now spend a few minutes in silence asking God for those whom we would love to see brought into an understanding of his love and grace. It may be someone we've known and loved for years, or it may be someone we've just met, or it may be that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to bring us into closer intimacy with Christ so that we would be willing to take the risks to follow Christ fully As we go into a time of silence and prayer, something a friend gave me recently that I thought was really inspiring. It's impossible, said pride. It's risky, said experience. It's pointless, said reason. Give it a try, whispered the heart. And so, just in a few minutes' silence now, just spend time with God, bringing those questions to him and I will finish in a few moments in prayer as we remember that we have a God who invites us to dream his dreams and as we prepare for communion we remember also that Christ has no body but yours no hands no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on our world. You are water to the thirsty, to the hungry you are bread. You are healing to the broken, Easter morning to the dead. You are life where we are lifeless, Light in our deepest darkness. Love where loneliness has left us longing. Where hope is lost, you find us in the grip of grief. Remind us there is grace at the graveside of our dreams. So come, great God of consolation. Come, great fountain of all love. Come, great river of refreshment, lake of all our longings, come. You are water to the thirsty, to the hungry you are bread. You are healing to the broken, Easter morning to the dead. Renewing Father, redeeming Son, rekindling Spirit, come and meet us here. Amen.